0: He lives, amen? amen. If you'll turn in your own copy of God's word to John chapter 21, or I'm sorry, chapter 20, John chapter 20, I'm getting, getting ahead of the game here. Um, if you don't have your Bible with you, our passage is also on the back of our bulletin, John chapter 20, John 20 and beginning in verse 19. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent your Son to die for us, to take our punishment, to pay a debt we could never repay. Lord, we thank you that he did not stay in that grave, but that empty grave declares our Savior lives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live in light of his resurrection. Lord, I I pray that as we study this passage of scripture, Lord, that we would learn more about who you are, that we would love you more, that we would more closely follow your will for our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So a little over a year ago, I got the opportunity to go somewhere that I've wanted to go most of my life, uh, to Romania. As a kid, I, I knew that my aunt and my uncle and my cousins lived in a place called Romania and they were serving the Lord there. They were spreading the gospel there to the Romanian people, uh, working primarily with uh, youth and children. And I had always wanted to go and see firsthand what they were doing. And so I had the opportunity to go with my uncle who, who's now serving the Lord stateside as a pastor in northern Virginia. And uh, he and I had the opportunity to go back to where he was serving the Lord. And to, to serve at the camp that he spent uh, a large portion of his ministry serving at. And I don't speak Romanian, but I was trying to learn a few things, just kind of the important things. And I picked up a lot of important things. And on the plane ride there, I was reviewing some of the things that I had looked up. And, you know, uh, I, I had learned things like Isus, which means Jesus. That's important to know how to say Jesus. I had learned Frata, which means Brother. And I learned something very, very important that I would need to know. And that is kafia, which is coffee. <laughs> but one of the things I had looked up is what everybody looks up before they go anywhere is that, how do you say hello? And I learned that to say hello, you say bunaziwa. And so I'm reviewing some of the things that I had looked up, some of the things I would learned while we're on the plane and just confirming I'm saying them right. And I said, when, when you greet someone, you say bunaziwa, right? He said, "Yes, that is how you say hello," but when you greet a Christian, you don't say the word for hello." You don't say "Bunaziwa," you say "pache," which means "peace." Now we don't typically greet each other with peace. We sometimes say goodbye with peace, but we don't typically <laughs> greet each other with "peace. "pache." And then the long form, of course pacadamnului which means peace of the lord. On Sunday we attended four church services uh, all over different areas there in Romania. And I didn't always understand what was being said whether it was being said by you know, my brothers and sisters in Christ there or whether it was being said um, you know, in the service, what was being sung. I didn't always understand everything, but here's what I did understand about the people that I was worshiping with. I knew that they loved Jesus and I knew that they were greeting me as a frata, a brother, and they were sharing with me the peace of the Lord, the peace of God. As followers of a risen Savior, we have a peculiar peace which unites us all. It unites Christians all around the world. It unites us Christians throughout the centuries. We have a peculiar peace which unites us. And this morning, as we examine our passage, we are going to look very much at the genesis, the origin of that peace, the peace of God that we all share. So let's look again to verse 19 and 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So it really sets the stage for us. It paints us a picture of the scene here. The disciples were hunkered down and afraid of persecution from the religious leaders that were there in Jerusalem. When was the last time that you were afraid Can you think about the last time that you were afraid? What were you afraid of? Were you afraid that your phone might die because you forgot your charger? Were you afraid that by the time you got to Wawa, all the pepperoni sizzlies would be gone? Those are my favorite. Were you afraid that maybe your team would lose to a division rival and you'd have to face people at church rubbing it in? What were you afraid of? Listen, I know that in our lives we encounter real things that scare us. We encounter real fear in our lives. And there are people here this morning who maybe you were wrestling with something that actually is legitimately frightening and serious. But before we rush to make a connection between they were scared, sometimes I'm scared, before we rush to make that connection, let's really let it sink in what those men must have been going through. What the disciples of Jesus Christ must have been going through in this moment before Jesus shows up in their midst. What was it like for them? They had just watched their only hope killed. We we know that at least John saw with his own eyes the last hour of Jesus Christ on the cross saw their only hope brutally tortured to death. And now they're stuck in the city where the people who did that and want that to be done to them, where they're in charge and running things. And they're stuck in this city. How can we leave? What are we going to do? And there's 10 men hiding in a locked house. Now, I don't know how big your place is, um, but all of us probably live in a house that is larger than what they were hiding in. And can you picture in your house 10 grown men fearing for their lives, shuffling around in this locked house, afraid to go outside or look out the windows. When it says they were afraid they were afraid scared for their lives and Jesus came and stood among them and he said peace be with you when Jesus appears to them he pronounces peace over them immediately This is in stark contrast to the fear that we were just reading about. Hiding in fear, and the risen Christ appears in front of them and says, Peace be with you. We see their fearful hiding turn to glorious peace at the appearance of the risen Lord. Are you seeing a theme here of contrast? Two weeks ago, we looked at the contrast between darkness and light as it relates to the resurrection. Last week, we talked about going from weeping and seeking to following and announcing. If it seems like we're harping on this contrast theme, it's because that's the very nature of the resurrection story. The resurrection is the point in history where things go from dark, scary, hopeless, Chaotic to bright, beautiful, hopeful, and peaceful. It says he pronounces peace over them. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Why does Jesus show them his wounds? If he wants them to feel this sense of spiritual peace... Why is he showing them where he was nailed and speared? Why is he doing this? Isaiah 53, 5 to 6 would shed light on this for us. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what is Jesus doing? He's showing them where their peace comes from. Peace be with you. And that peace is coming from here and here. Peace be with you. His punishment is what brings us our peace. His wounds are what heal our sin. The people of God are given the peace of God. We, as the people of God, are given the peace of God through the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I'll say again the people of God have been given the peace of God. Where our sin brings shame, fear, and anxiety, Christ has won for us on the cross peace. And it says the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Regardless of the danger of the Jews, that it says they were there for fear of the Jews, regardless of the danger of the group of people who were trying to kill them, the disciples are gladdened by the presence of the risen Lord. Have you ever had a dream where something terrible happened? Has happened to someone that you love. One that just felt so real and vivid. That even though none of it was real. Your heart was broken. You woke up from that dream with a broken heart. Over that person that you only thought in your dream you had lost. I've had dreams like this about my children. And do you know what I do when I wake up from a dream that just feels so real. That something horrible has happened to my child. I've got to get out of bed, go to their room, and see them. Sometimes even put my hand on them to see them breathing. To know it was only a dream. It didn't really happen. But the disciples didn't just dream that Jesus had died. He actually died. They saw his body buried He died horribly. And now they are seeing that gut-wrenching reality completely nullified. Jesus is before them and instead of saying it was only a dream, none of it was real, he says something better. I really did die for real. I really was nailed to that cross. I really had a spear plunged into my side. It really happened. I did it. Paying for your sin but I really am alive again. Yes, the people of God have been given the peace of God. But what now? Let's look to verse 21. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus here gives them peace and purpose. He again reminds them, hey, peace be with you. And then he says that they have a job to do. Jesus was sent by the Father to do his will, and we are sent by Jesus to do his will. Jesus was sent by the Father to atone for our sin, to make a way of salvation for all who would believe. And God's plan is for that good news to travel to the ends of the earth. His disciples are told that their purpose is to participate in that plan. The people of God are given the peace of God to participate in the plan of God. But what else are they given to prepare them for the work ahead? Let's look to verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit if you forgive the sins of any They are forgiven them if you withhold forgiveness from any. It is withheld. So Jesus breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is a symbolic gesture on the part of Jesus, which we know is foreshadowing what would happen on Pentecost. That God would pour out His Spirit on His people. Now why is He telling them this now? He's just told them they have a job to do. And now he's telling them, you don't have to do it alone. There is a peace in knowing that if you have a job to do, you don't have to do it alone. Uh, Going back to my trip to Romania, I was spending most of our time on the northern border of Romania. And what is just over the northern border of Romania? It's the Ukraine. And so we actually wound up going over the border into Ukraine. And we know that there was uh, a whole mess going on over there that, that still is going on. And, of course, that could be a little bit scary, a little bit frightening that, hey, there's this big conflict going on. People are dying. I heard about it on the news, and now I'm going where this is happening. But we were going with uh, Ovidiu, who is a Romanian that was, um, that was that was running the camp there, and he was they're helping us. And when we got to the border, there are these guys in scary-looking uniforms and AK-47s, and they're looking very unhappy, and now we have foreigners, you know. Uh, it's, it's all a little fishy, and it was, it was a little unsettling, but I wasn't all that scared because Ovidio was there. He crosses this border all the time to bring aid and supplies to people that are stuck in the midst of this conflict, and, and so I, I trusted him. Because, hey, if I'm going here, it's good to know I have someone with me that will keep me safe and lead the way. Now, that trust was evidently um, a little undeserved because he starts in the street yelling and pointing to me and saying things in Romanian, and my uncle's there translating, and he's going, this is my friend from America. He wants to fight the Russians. Send him to the front lines. (laughs) Funny guy. But in this particular case, when Jesus says receive the Holy Spirit, we know that the work that we are about to do, that we do with the very presence of God, so any fear that you have, trust in the Lord that he will lead you to do the job that he has called you to do. And then he says something that is a little strange. He says, if you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What does that mean? Those who declare Jesus as Lord are given the power and authority to steward his gospel. If you're taking notes, that would be something to write down here. Those who declare Jesus as Lord are given the power and the authority to steward his gospel. We see this principle with the confession of Peter in Matthew 16, verse 15 to 19. The words of Jesus here, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, But my father who is in heaven and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In our passage this morning, we see Jesus bestow on all of his disciples this same authority that he bestowed on Peter. So what does this look like, practically speaking, to have this kind of power and authority to steward the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does this look like practically? Well, Jesus gives us some more practical instruction In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 18, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then Jude will reinforce this in his epistle concerning false teachers where he says to earnestly contend for the faith once for all handed down. Now, this is not a situation where someone is sitting around deciding whether someone's allowed to come to faith in Jesus or not. This is a matter of affirming their salvation based on the gospel, which is clearly laid out in Scripture. To affirm someone's faith in Christ, to affirm their salvation by examining their life When someone has confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we're talking about the Jesus as revealed to us in Scripture, not a nebulous idea of, to me, Jesus is just. We always get in trouble when we start things like that. The Jesus as revealed in Scripture. When someone has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, we affirm that confession, we affirm their faith, their salvation. Through baptism, when we recognize this person has truly put their faith in Christ Jesus, we take that person through baptism. We reaffirm their confession as we share the Lord's table. And when someone persists in unrepentant sin, when someone persists in unrepentant sin, we deny the authenticity the authenticity of their confession. We say, if, if you were truly a believer, you would not be living an unrepentant life. And so then we deny the authenticity of their confession by treating them as an unbeliever. In other words, withholding the communion of the saints. Now the key here is unrepentant sin. We're not going to kick somebody out. We're not going to excommunicate someone when they're struggling. This happens when someone refuses to turn from their sin and turn back to Jesus Christ. So as we think about our responsibility to steward the gospel of Jesus Christ, let's evaluate how we do that today. I think of the term relationship, not religion. I love the sentiment There are so many people whose lives have been changed by the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they say this, hey, this is a relationship, not a religion. And the sentiment is beautiful because we know that we do not gain right standing with God through legalistic, work-centered means. We gain right standing with God by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His righteousness is applied to us when we repent of our sin and put our faith in him. And then our lives are marked by what? A loving relationship with our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. The problem comes when relationship, not religion, is taken to an extreme that we never intend When taken to its extreme, it can mean that Christianity is this amorphous thing where I don't have to submit to the law of God or commune with the church of God. I just have to love the general idea of Jesus and mostly be nice to people. And that's not what we mean when we say it. But so often, that's the attitude we see in many of the people who are leaving the church, the people who have left the church they say, hey, it's it's a relationship. It's just between me and God. You know, the church has no place in it. Pastors have no place in it. The ordinances have no, no place in it. I just this is a relationship. But the word religion is used three times positively in the New Testament. And we know that, that this is very much a religion. We have ordinances which are given by Christ. We have a standard of holiness which is spelled out for us in Scripture. We have structure and authority, we have accountability, but that's not all we have. Above all of that, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, it's not just about ordinances, baptism, communion, it's not just about a standard of holiness, it's not just about structure and authority, it's not just about accountability to one another, it's also very much a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior, So if I could just alter this well-meaning phrase a little bit, I wouldn't say relationship, not religion. I would say that what we have is a relational religion. I think that would be much more helpful to think through who we are as Christians. What are we doing here? We are in a relational religion. All this to say, this principle here, is that those who declare Jesus Christ as Lord are given the power and the authority to steward his gospel. So participation in God's plan is not just that we spread his gospel, but also steward his gospel. So the main point here is that the people of God are prepared by God with the peace and the presence of God to participate in the plan of God. So, I'd like for us to ask ourselves a few questions. Are you spending your life anxious? Anxious over your own sin and shame? Are you in fear of what may happen to you? Turn to Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, who offers you God's peace. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? and you're wondering what your purpose is in this life. Just as the Father sent Jesus Christ your Savior to this world to save you, Jesus is now sending you to spread his gospel and to steward his gospel. Does the task ahead seem a little daunting? Does it seem like that, that's a bit much for me? I don't know if I can do that. I want to assure you that you don't have to do it alone. You've been given the very presence of God to dwell inside of you and empower you because the people of God have been prepared by God with the peace and presence of God to participate in the plan of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for sending your son to save us. We thank you for forgiving our sins. We thank you for the beauty and the peace that comes from your gospel. And Lord, we thank you for the honor and the privilege that we have as your people to participate in your wonderful plan. I pray that we would serve you not out of compulsion, but out of the joy of our salvation. It is such an honor to be entrusted with your gospel, to spread it, to steward it. Lord, I pray that we would hold one another accountable, that we would seek you every step of the way. And we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit, which indwells and empowers each and every one of us who have called upon you as our Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. If you're able, we-